Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. to the prestige podcast for people who love movies by people who love movies i'm sam i'm an academic teacher writer um i've lectured in universities i've taught in schools and i currently work teaching literature in a sick form college and i do a lot of thinking about um, the theory behind how things work culturally speaking um, although Having just gotten a sneak peek of what we're going to do next week, I'm not sure I'm particularly proud of all the times that I do that. Anyway, he's Rob. He is a podcaster, editor and author. Um, In one of his many guises, he spent some years at the coalface of the movie industry um, and he's been all over the world and worked with various directors and actors on big budget productions and tiny independent films no one's ever heard of. Um, so as much as I bring sort of theoretical mouse to this, he brings something of the practicalities of movie making to our talks. And we discuss a different movie each week and we t- give you some reviews of it and then we talk about some of the themes and ideas that lie behind it. In recent seasons, we've been thinking sort of thematically. Our final sub-season was, is Disney animations and their live-action remakes. So that's what we'll be focusing on this time. And we generally end each episode by talking about some of the connections we make for further reading, further watching based on the film of the week. We tend to start our episodes with what else we have been watching recently. So, Rob, what about you? So, I have recently caught up with uh, Army of the Dead, the latest Zack Snyder movie, um, which, following all of the the noise and fanfare about the Snyder cuts, which I've not seen, I thought I'd give this a go when it was Netflix. And it's honestly a rollicking good time. Yes, it's Zack Snyder, so it's a bit nihilistic at times. It's a bit, I don't know, overblown and testosterone-filled. But it's a very good, fun film that's sprinkled with enough interesting side notes and tidbits to keep it intriguing well after it's finished. I know that Zack is not for everybody. Um, His movies tend to attract as much hate as they do love, especially his uh, DC-verse movies. Uh, But this was on Netflix, and it was just a really really fun time for an evening. It knows what it is, it does it well, and ultimately, Dave Bautista, who plays the main character in it, he's growing to be one of my favourite action stars of the modern era. He's just very watchable. He brings a real sense of, I don't know, humanity and melancholy to a lot of his roles, while still being an absolute unit who can rip a zombie in half with bare hands like it was he's got a real kind of 
I think charm was the wrong word. I see him and The Rock as like the flip side of the same coin. They're both these really physically, obviously intimidating actors. But whereas The Rock is all charm, like he is the most charming man in the world. He smiles, he's joy. He's Dave Batista is not. He brings something darker to it, something a bit more, I don't know, hollow and lost, which sounds strange to talk about. We don't movie called Army of the Dead. But there's a real regret to his role, which I don't think that The Rock has the chops to pull off. In the same way, I don't think Dave's got the quite the charisma to pull off some of The Rock's roles. But yeah, Army of the Dead. It's it's well worth checking out, especially if you like the zombie genre. It's not too gory and violent in that kind of, you know, when I made Sam watch Zombie 2 back in the day. But it's fun. All right, you, Sam. I would just say about Dave Bautista, one of the things, I, and I loved... Guardians of the Galaxy, but one of the things I particularly liked about that was the way that they were his. There's something, something you were talking there about how he is almost sort of a melancholy to being a sort of action hero brute, and the the way that the, there was just something really beautiful about the role that he that he portrayed in Guardians of the Galaxy. It didn't really have to be like. It could quite easily just have been a sort of plug and play, bad guy mm. slash good guy slash whatever. So yeah, I'm I'm a fan of Deputies. Um, I want to talk about two things this week because um, the first one's a bit of a downer. Well, it's that that sounds bad. It's it's a really it's a really brilliant documentary. It's called Steelers, the world's first gay rugby club, and it's about the acceptance shown by the title tells you the world's first gay rugby club which was set up in London King's Cross in the mid 90s and it follows the story of the director of rugby at the time and she since stepped down um, and then a few of the players and how they can combine being um, effectively sort of brutes on the pitch and they they are brilliant rugby players they combine that with their other lives other lives in quotation marks as as gay men um and it was sort of heart-wrenching one of the 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 guy who directed it is a member of the team and he was bullied at school homophobically bullied at school in a really punishingly brutally awful way um and it was redemptive but not too not cloying and it just left me an emotional wreck and it was really good but afterwards I thought well I can't go to bed having watched that so I watched Palm Springs which is the new Andy Sandberg film which is just everything you want for an Andy Sampo film. And it was a complete antidote to Sealers, which was utterly brilliant, but left me feeling like I didn't want to go to bed. So Palm Springs is a nice pick-me-up. Palm Springs is outstanding. I remember mm. I saw it last year. Absolutely brilliant. And yeah. I, I like the two leads a lot, but I really enjoyed that movie. And it was it was sort of, sort of a... And I say it was or do you expect an Andy Sandberg movie that feels like doing it down a bit because it was it was a lot better than I thought it was going to be it was it was mm. really good really good. I agree I agree I had something to say as well which was quite mm. nice as Sam mentioned start there we are wrapping up our look at the Disney remakes the live action remakes of classic Disney films um, and this week we are looking at the 
2020 remake of Mulan. Do you know why the phoenix sits on the right hand of the emperor? She is his guardian, his protector. That she's both beautiful and strong. Your job is to bring honor to the family. Do you think you can do that? Citizens, we are under attack from northern invaders. Their leader calls himself Ori Khan. Fights alongside a witch. No survivors. By edict of his imperial majesty, every family must contribute one man to fight. Have you no son? I am blessed with two daughters. I will fight. Strong. This time he will not return. Loyal, brave, and true. It is my duty to protect my family. Ancestors, please protect her. What is your name, soldier? Hua Jun, commander, son of Hua Zhou. We're going to make men out of every single one of you. Close the gate! The spirit is evident, but something holds you back. When they find out who you are, they will show you no mercy. I'm Hua Mulan. I will bring honor to us all. Whilst I say this is a remake, I don't think that's possibly true. This is a 2020 retelling of the original Mulan story slash myth tells the tale of mulan a young chinese girl who in lieu of her father say her father from returning to war signs up under the guise of being a male soldier there she comes the trials tribulations of being part of the army and facing off against the uh, invading hordes she uses eventually her cunning her guile and notably in the movie her chi her magical powers to defeat the invaders and ultimately save China. It's the same story as last time, but radically different in many, many ways. Both Sam and I were discussing last episode about how we were very keen and excited to watch this one because this is the one where we really felt there was something to say and it was a very different movie to the original. So Sam, following that and following the movie, how did you find it? I did really enjoy this film and... Yeah, it was it was what I wanted it to be, given that we, we talked with interest about what the theory make could have been like, and it sort of dropped the... I mean, I don't like the word cartoony used in a derogatory way, but it can be used in a derogatory way, and 
it, that's what this film did. It sort of dropped the cartoony elements of the original, and it was all the best of that. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I thought there were it obviously it kept bits that were close to the original, like the I'm just thinking of the um, the phoenix flying over, being kind of like Mushu as the guardian angel, but. It felt like things like that were closer to magical realism than, like, than to the original itself. So I, I really did enjoy this film. Yes. How about you? Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat as you. I felt it was. I've never said that. I think it's a you got to view it more as a retelling of the original Mulan story rather than a remake of the first movie in the same it almost in the opposite way to that lion king at times was a shot for shot remake this is not it radically alters large parts of the story you lose whole characters and save for occasionally them using the same refrains and riffs of the original songs as part of the soundtrack which you do hear throughout it it's almost an entirely new movie and that's a movie i did enjoy i enjoyed the movie i thought that it <sighs> The inclusion of the whole chi thing, which is the big change I felt for this movie, um, essentially, because I that is, it's kind of somewhere between Waifu and Wushu and that kind of running up walls, flying up you know, arrows kind of action movie. Um, and she here, rather than just being a stylistic choice for the movie, it's about her having this chi and being able to harness it and this being a predominantly male-focused thing that women didn't have this kind of chi and men do. Um, and for a woman to have chi and to use chi was a a bad thing, a disgraceful thing, which is set up by the opposition having, for, 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 compared to the first week, having a female witch, as they call her, fighting for them, who has the same, has the chi, and was thrown out of her society and became evil i suppose um i think the film i think the film suffers a little bit from what i'm seeing disney trying to do which is it's not a terrible thing but humanized villains a bit mm. we've seen it a lot with the recent cruella film is that sometimes i personally feel that bad guys can just be bad guys and in the f- original film um the invading hordes are just bad guys yeah, they're just they're just, they're just a a straight up and down bad guy. Whereas here, there's the whole well, his father was killed by the emperor, and there's a redemption arc of um, of Xiao Neng, the the, um, the her redemption redemption arc through the movie of how Mulan redeems the witch. I understand that it's trying to put humanity into the movie, and I understand that, but I think you could have made if you'd say cut half an hour of the movie, it could really zip along as an action movie. Um, and there's some great action scenes in it, especially with, with the army and the ones who aren't Mulan, the rest of the army, some great scenes there. Um, but yeah, I think it probably could have done with being a little bit, a little bit tighter personally. Yes. It's something that's, um, I don't know, we, we've talked about before and it's something that sort of big blockbusters like 
Disney putting this forward as seem to the trap they seem to fall into. They think well, bigger is better and longer is better. Mm. I saw saw another film this week. I, it was absolutely brilliant, and it was it was brilliant because it was only an hour and a half long, and it was really tight, and it was well acted. But there was no sort of meat on the bones. There was nothing of the director saying, "Oh, we need to put some more in there." So you do you do feel at times that. This film could have been shorter. I yeah, and that, sorry, you. go on. No, I Yeah, I, I think I think that's what I would say is I think that it just needs tightening up. But I think I mean I feel I say that about so many modern movies these days, mm. um, and I don't know whether it's my age showing or the fact that I've worked in production. But I just sometimes think you know what you just, you just need to think it's that kill your darlings thing they say. Like so much, like it just doesn't need it. You don't need the redemption of the bad guys. The bad guys can just be bad guys. Mm. Um, especially when you're talking about something like, yeah, if you're doing like an Oscar bait style in depth analysis, you know, it, then that's fine. But like here, we're talking about kids' action films. Yeah. And I think that this film, this is where it really tries to set itself differently in that it's not a kid's film. Yeah. Like it's released on Disney Plus and it's trying to be a kid's film, but in the way that all of the remakes have aimed for the same market as the original. This doesn't feel like it is. This feels like it's aiming for a very different market. Yes. Yeah. It is something that, yeah, other, that's interesting because something that the other, some of the other remakes try to do is make a completely different film. And it's something that I don't think worked in the Lion King, say, which is just, I felt, too often was just shot for shot remake. This is a completely different film, and yeah, you're right that this is significantly different because it doesn't not pan stupid. Doesn't doesn't aim itself at the same audience at all. I do think that. So a couple of things we were talking about there. You you mentioned chi, and we we're talking about the idea of honor as well, and both those things, which I suppose are two sides of the same coin. It depends what. Um, tradition you're talking about this chi and honour it's kind of they're for men not women so it says she says right at the beginning chi is for warriors not daughters and then later on it's understood that honour is a male preserve you you gain honour if you're a man by going into battle and you gain honour if you're a woman by marrying a man that is just how how you achieve honour in this society. I did really enjoy the the way that it felt like Mulan was, was battling with these ideas without without necessarily feeling too preachy. Mm. I think it was an interesting choice with this movie that they set the dad up to being a bit more needing of redemption. Mm. That the if you look at Mulan, there was an element of societal change was needed. Yeah. Like Mulan ushered in societal change. Whereas in this one, it was a much more personal story. It was about the redemption of her and her father's eyes and that relationship, the redemption of um, Zhao Neng. Like, there's this, the dad was a much more, you know, a harsher person in this movie. Um, whereas the original Mulan had like a, a studied calm to him and an understanding yeah. here it wasn't the case it just, he was more aggressive more of a sort of a traditional tool of the culture 
um, an arm of, of this kind of, you say, the male-dominated society. But also, what, what he was saying at points was, this is what our culture, our society is like. You have to pretend. You have to, you, Milan, have to go along with this. You have to mm. bend your will to this. He wasn't on her side mm. in the yeah. way that the original was. And that's, I mean, that's a, that's what I think I'm, I'm saying with movies. It felt more of a personal journey. It's about the individuals in the story. And I understand why I think in a live action remake, because you've got real people playing these roles, you can't be as broad as you can be with an animation. Yeah. Um, and I think it's literally just thinking about now as I'm talking it through with you, looking at our remakes up until now, there's been a reliance on, I suppose what I call non-human characters. Mm. So, you know, things like Beauty and the Beast, the, all the um, uh, furniture, Lion King, Jungle Book, these are non-human character characters. This, apart from the Phoenix, which wasn't really a character, it's all humans. It is a human-led story, I suppose I'm trying to say. And so you can't be as broad. You haven't got a comic relief rodent or you know pumba and timon coming through you've got to be more natural and more personal and tell more of a human story because there's no no to run from there's no recompense there's no sanctuary against that there isn't a comedy even the comedy characters of of um her army mates who in the original are much more comedic but they come here as some sort of comedy but it's much more realistic i suppose thinking about that i was thinking about when she gets to the camp there's a real focus on the practicalities of her disguise and Mm. how she could to wash and change and sleep and all that and that you just don't get from the original you're right because there's no there's no concern for there's not such a concern for realism as there is here yeah i think that's that's a real nice idea that it is realistic um and we use that word a lot um but it's whereas last week we talked a lot more about the ideas of gender and the ideas of truth here her presentation as a man felt felt far less important than her wielding of chi Mm. her as a woman wielding chi in battle felt like a far bigger offense to this culture than her being a woman in battle. Yeah. I will say it did solve one of the issues I had with the original Mulan, which was we had this third act in a whole new place. Here, like the Imperial Temple, Imperial City is a place throughout the entire movie. And there are things going on there as well that you come up against and you see. And I really liked that change. It did feel like the ending was earned in a way that it wasn't previously. Yeah. Um, I think that really helped it for me particularly. And I did enjoy, obviously, um, seeing Jet Li as the emperor, um, being a very different emperor to the um, first film. Yeah. Um, a much more, uh, obviously, Chi-led emperor. I think one thing I felt with this, which I think I've talked about a lot through this whole series, is that I felt sometimes it lost some of the beauty of the originals. Especially in the end scene, in all the ca- all the sort of lantern lights of the original scene at the end with the fireworks and all of that, like, it's a real striking look. And here, 
like an empty city in which they kind of fight faceless bad guys mm. didn't have the same same vibe to it. Well, I did enjoy all the wire work and all of the um, the uh, all the wushu sort of effects of um, them running up uh, poles and jumping off wood and all of that. And I did I enjoyed all that in its style. I, I lost. I felt we lost something of that kind of cast of thousands giant parade in the Imperial City kind of thing from the first yeah but I do think we keep coming back to this idea of realism and I think that and it does does really work there you're right because the Imperial City has been a presence throughout the film and there are mm. other things like going back to this this idea of, of losing the cartoony elements it, it just like with Sort of having having Hong Kui as the romantic but not really romantic element, like the the one that she tussles with, and the one who is is betrayed by finding out that her finding out about her gender, having him as an equal in the army felt like much more realistic and satisfied than just mm. having him as a commanding officer. Yeah, I just felt that there's this idea of real sort of unification to the film that comes with, like you said, also with the unification of of spaces at the end of the Imperial City. I think that's that's what nicely set up that whole moment, that whole Spartacus moment, as I call it, mm, where yeah. they all stand up for her. Which, in the original, because he's the commanding officer, he's the the, the um, figure of authority. He can't be the person who'll stand up for her. That's the thing that if even if he were, then everyone else would just agree with him because they're his, he's their boss. Mm. It's much more effective if, if it, as a united front, everyone stands up for her and they they are all her equals. And I think also because we are presented to as, as a very hierarchical, you do as you're told. Society. There's a, a really nice shot early on in which the emperor gives an edict, and like fifteen scribes suddenly break up pen and paper, write it all down. There, there's a sense throughout mm. the entire movie of this hierarchy that's sitting, and for the for the lowly soldiers to rise up against their commander and say, "No, we believe her." The person who society says is a disgrace, and all of these things. That's a really powerful moment that the original didn't have, and I really liked that with it. Yeah, and I also say I think. We talked a lot last time about the whole climbing of the pole um, in the original where she uses the metals to kind of shimmy up the pole. And here they didn't have that. They had the water carrying up the um, mountain, mm. which I thought was a real strange choice. And I'm, I'm unsure of where certain it because she wasn't cleverer to this time. She didn't no. become to the top of the mountain by being clever. She was just stronger and faster. Yeah. Um, and... That was a really interesting choice because it's that setting up that there's that idea in the original one, which you see a lot in um, a lot of cultures and lots of uh, media, that women aren't as physically strong, but they're crafty. The yeah. women are crafty. They, they, they see the loopholes, they find their way around, they're crafty. And this doesn't go that route. They just go, no, she just works really hard and she's good at this. And it becomes a different vibe to her in the army of rather than just being the clever one who finds the loopholes, she's just, she's just a good soldier. Yeah. She's good at her job. And that's what at the end I'll say, she's good at her job. Which 
actually it links back to the documentary I saw this week as, as well because the the coach of this rugby team is just really mm-hmm. good at her job and she's not she's not good at sort of outthinking opponent. I mean she is, but that's not solely where her strength lies. It's just the fact that she was an awesome international rugby player and she's just good at telling people what to do on the rugby field. And that's something else, Yiffy, you've sort of this powerful woman. I thought it was interesting with Shen Zhang, her opposite number, that you know, it's like you're saying that she seems to be presented as having been frustrated and you have well there were times you thought well what the film was saying was that to be a successful woman is to be seen as a witch so it was making a really strong political mm. comment there and I did but, but I did feel that after what you said at the beginning I've been thinking about this that something the film does a bit too much I think is trying to humanise the bad guys because it tries to turn her into well she was just mistreated by the patriarchy and of course she turned out like this and and then her boss was just mistreated by the the bad emperor who killed his father and isn't that terrible it was just it, like like you were saying, it's just this this effort to humanise mm. everybody. But I, I did think that was interesting that they they tried to make this this sort of really political comment about Shenzhen. So Sam, do you have any recommendations for us? I do. Couple. Um, my first I've written down is solely to annoy Rob. Oh no. Um. <laughs> um. Donnie Yen was in a film that I know Rob hated and I didn't much like it, but I didn't hate it nearly as much as Rob did, so I just <laughs> oh, want to mention Rogue One. Oh, I knew it. My second one, we're on firmer ground and something I know Rob loves. Um, Jason Scott Lee was in Back to the Future Part 2, which, although it's we talked about this maybe maybe not being our favourite of the trilogy it's still a, a solid film really good so those are my two recommendations this week one genuine Back to the Future Part 2 and then one just to annoy Rob that's what this show's for isn't it really um, <laughs> so I've got two as well to what talk about one is linked by an actor and one sort of more thematic so my first link is the actor um, Gong Li who plays Xiao Neng uh, the bad witch as it were she is uh, i want to call it the main love interest in a movie called 2046 which is a, a wong kar wai movie from t- early 2000 2003 2004 um it tells the tale of three love stories of, of, of a author falling in love with three women all based around the one woman he really loves um, it's a very beautiful movie. It's very sweet and very not mean sweet, but it's kind of romantic in its way and dark in its way. Um, all about him pining for his one true love, played by Gong Li. It was it's so it's a very f- funny movie in a way that he's a science fiction author, and there's a couple of scenes that are dramatizing his books uh, that are science fiction set. So if you ever watched the trailer of this movie, it seems like a sci-fi film, and it's called 2046. 
but it is not a sci-fi movie. It is a heartfelt romantic movie. Um, but the uh, Western trailers for it, the Western marketing for it, certainly pushed the sci-fi elements that really aren't there. My second um, recommendation is a film that Sam and I talked about way, way, way back in 2016. Is um, it The Lone Ranger? It's not, unsurprisingly. <laughs> um, it is The Assassin, uh, which is another uh, Japanese martial art movie um, of the wushu genre. This one telling the tale of a assassin who is sent to kill a political leader set in 8th century China. As I recall, I was a big fan of this film and Sam wasn't as keen. I'm sure we can put a link to the episode in the show comment, show notes. Um, but I liked it then, I like it now, and it's in a similar sort of style to Mulan, though I probably rate The Assassin higher than I rate Mulan. So guys, that's the end of our review of Mulan 20. It's the end of our Disney mini-season, and it's the end of our season, season four of this show. We've been doing it many years now, but that's the end of season four. I wonder um, what you're going to announce then. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and it's the end of our friendship. <laughs> so we are wrapping up this week, but we always try and do a special episode to demark between the seasons. So the next episode will be our 200th episode. We've had a couple of odd ones here and there, but 200 episodes in. We are going back to the well, is all I'll say about it. Um, I'm not going to mention the movie. I think it'd be nice to do a surprise. Um, but we are going back to the well to one of the movies that started this whole show way, way, way back before podcasts were even a thing. So join us for that, why don't you, in two weeks' time. Oh, teaser. Mm. As it is our 200th episode, we are also trying to... Uh, collect some voicemails from various people various listeners various friends of the show on what they rate as the best movie we've covered or what their favorite movie is that we've covered so we've done all the movies over the years you can find the full list i'll put a, a link in the show notes to a um a post with all the movies on that we've covered if you want to email us at rob k at kaiju f kaiju.fm so rob k at kaiju.fm emails me if you want to email us a 10, 15, 30 second little snippet of you saying who you are, why you listen to the show and what your favourite movie is and why, we'll try and include that in the episode itself for our 200th episode. Till then, guys, you can find both of us online at Prestige Podcast on Twitter. You can find just me by emailing prestigefilmpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find me at KaijuFN. And we're back next two weeks with our uh, season wrap-up, as it were. See you then. I thought you'd gone, and then you did it. Uh, there was a pause, and then... Yeah, bye, everyone.